Zlatko, excited to be chatting today. I know we've already been going five minutes strong, but more, for, <laughs> more formally kicking it off for the sake of putting this on a platform where there's a soundbite that says, we're kicking it off here. Welcome to the show. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. And uh, I think that's a beautiful thing about podcasts is that we don't have to be formal, right? And that's, I think, the new uh, uh, new way of doing things. And so, yeah, man, I really appreciate you, like I said, reaching out, um, being subscribed to the newsletter and all that good stuff and simply just saying, hey, if you want to come on the show or whatever, it's, it's, it's awesome. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. For sure. So I have this book in front of me uh, by Derek uh, yes. Sivers and uh, the... Yes called your music and your people or your music and people creative and consider fame uh the research favorites yeah it's it's there somewhere he's retrieving it everybody he's finding it i say i if i had my glasses on i would have noticed that that was in the background now we're both holding this book in front of each other now at this moment which is funny why and the reason for this is right a friend of mine is a big fan of your twitter following and loves your writing and basically you know when i first met him he's like one of the first people you should bring on your podcast now that we've met is this guy's lacko so i said i trust you you know you're a super intellectual guy uh, this is Noah Zender for people who follow Noah on Twitter. And it's like, if you're only going to give me a list of three people and he's one of those three people, like, for sure, let's do it. Uh, so anyway, I went to his house yeah. over the weekend and we were hanging out. And he's like, you got to ask me about this book. He loves this book. It was like one of the first things he talked about with me. So what's uh, what did this book do for you? Why did you read it? Or how did you read it? What, what um, did you do differently in your life once you read it? Dude, you know what's crazy about this book is that I felt almost when I was reading this, I actually reached out to Derek Sivers about this. Um, I almost feel like I could have written this book from a, from a similar perspective of my journey. It's very relatable and it's very, um, there's no fluff. That's what I absolutely love because, um, just a little bit of background is also, I didn't, I haven't been writing for a very long time. In fact, I was very like scared of writing. And about 12 months ago, I just joined a cohort, Ship 30, got me sort of like that unlock, just publishing, writing, being interested. And then I realized, you know, within a span of 12 months, how much I missed out on. And every time, and I think you probably go through this as well, like we were just talking about the newsletters in the beginning. Sometimes you connect with people, sometimes you just don't connect with people. No matter how good something is, it's just their way of writing something, the way of... um describing something it either connects with you or it doesn't right i think this book amongst probably like four or five or the other books that are sitting over there um is probably the one book that i can say that connected with me on a level of just being human and not worrying about people worried about too much stupid shit including myself and i think this book kind of brings you down that one level to just be like dude things just work out the way they work out and you just as long as you do your thing, like things will happen. What pushed you over the edge to join Ship 30 for 30 and start writing? Um, honestly, man, I've had uh, close to about 10 years of entrepreneurship under my belt, like just building businesses, consulting, freelance stuff, whatever that might be, just out on my own, basically no employer. And um, I just felt like I was consuming so much knowledge and experience and information along the way. I had no way of distilling it. I, I love YouTube and I love watching videos and all this, but I didn't feel like I was, I, I didn't feel that need to be like, I'm going to get a camera and record myself talking all day long. I always felt like through writing, I can actually express a little bit more and a little bit more fluidly. And so when I decided that I wanted to just kind of distill shit out of my brain and put it on paper, meaning like whatever ideas came to mind, whatever thoughts, whatever business stuff that came to mind, 
I wanted a place to put it down and keep some sort of like record of it. And I think writing for me has just like been a really important form of expression and sharing my learning and experiences with people as guidance, not as a solution. So that's always been sort of the goal for me. What was your most successful atomic essay? So for people who are in familiarship 30 for 30, it's a 30 day writing program. You kind of write a mini essay every single day and publish it right away. What was the most successful one? And you can define success. Actually, I mean, let's, let's give two definitions of success to help you answer the question. One, what got the most engagements on social media? What one like was the most viral, got the most views? Then which one like a more, let's call it like intrinsic definition of success. Like you finish that essay and you're like, wow, I just like accomplished something or made a piece of work that's going to help someone. Uh, and maybe it's the same piece, but maybe it's not. Um, man, it'd be tough to know which one was the, was the most, like, um, most popular, I guess. Dude, I think it might have to be, there's one I wrote about why, like every founder should be on Twitter. And I think that one did pretty well. Uh, what the way amount of information and just in like infinite feedback you can get either on a product or something that you're doing. That was one. And then the other one was actually more recent um, that I published was about sort of the starting point of like my family and how we got here to the States. And that one, I think, was for me the one that I kind of incorporated a lot of um, the stuff I've been learning about writing, storytelling and different things, incorporating into that and actually delivering something that's like really like from the early ages of my life when, you know, my parents had to like escape a country and all these other things. So I yeah. think it was probably that. I'm one. curious to hear it like that story. Um, well, I'll make it, uh, you know, long story short, it fit but, into an uh, atomic essay. So I figured it's a safe enough question. I, exactly. Well, basically my parents are from Eastern Europe, from Bosnia, Croatia. So, uh, came from a war torn country, pretty much, uh, around 92, 93, the war broke out. I was, I was born in 88. So, um, you know, I was probably like four or five years old at the time. And, um, my parents basically had to move, they had to move from Bosnia to Croatia, which was like basically next door. And at the same time, um, you know, we couldn't stay there because we didn't have a place to stay. It was like my grandparents' house and there wasn't that much room for a family of four. And then we moved to Germany to try to, you know, my parents get a job and different things like that. And then we couldn't stay in Germany because they weren't accepting, um, refugees, uh, long-term. It was just short-term. And then from there, uh, we came to the U.S. to like a family member um, and basically came with, uh, you know, like thousand dollars in cash and two suitcases for the family of four. Like it was nothing. So the fact that what, par what my parents have been able to build for themselves and for our family, like in with the little knowledge that they that they have, for me, it's just like exhausting that opportunity for myself to take being here, having the opportunity, having the resources and the knowledge that I've been able to acquire and experiences and building something that I'm proud of and that my, you know, my family would be proud of. Do you think that that story and not even story, just that life experience you had, I see a Bitcoin poster behind you. Is that a lot of the reason you resonate with like the, with Bitcoin, like kind of this humanitarian refugee narrative of Bitcoin? Or is that, unless I'm like misreading that poster and it doesn't say Bitcoin. No, but, but it does. It, it absolutely says Bitcoin and it's, and it's funny. Um, I wouldn't say that's the reason, but there was an underlying reason that came out of it once I was in the Bitcoin world. So in like 2013 is when I really kind of got into it. Um, and got out of it because of all the political bullshit. Cause I really just don't care about that stuff. There was a lot of, I, it, it just started to get really funny at one point. And so I, I literally left that up there because that wall looked 
bare and I didn't have anything else to put there. But that's something that I got in 2013 at like a Bitcoin conference in San Jose. Um, so yeah, there's definitely, after I got into it, there was reasons for me to be like, oh damn, this actually would help people, you know, sending money across different countries. And or escaping, without, right? If you're escaping the country es- and you can take your, you know, your value with you in a exactly. sovereign way. Exactly. Exactly. So there's a lot of underlying stuff that I think clicked after the fact though. Very cool. Yeah. It's funny you say that last night I was on the phone for two hours with a friend of mine whose entire universe is Bitcoin and politics because he runs a Bitcoin super PAC. So it's oh, like shit. His, his, his two words are Bitcoin and politics and his life is oh. Bitcoin in Washington, D.C. So, you know, oh, he's been on yeah, the podcast no, before as well, but you and him would not. not no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. He would not want to be trading. It would not be well suited by trading places. Yeah. Exactly, man. Exactly. Um, but yeah, dude, it's, it's a crazy journey, man. I think, I think, I think Bitcoin, uh, you know, um, there was like a few times in my life that I've seen those sort of big moments happen. I think was obviously the internet, like the whole online game, then seeing what Apple did with the iPhone and the whole app ecosystem and changed everything about software. And then they went to, you know, Bitcoin and currency and changing everything. And I think now we're at the point of like, AI doing the yeah. same exact thing, you know what I mean? So, I'm, I'm always careful to bring up AI in podcasts. One to scare, to not scare people away who are like, "Oh fuck, another AI podcast." Then also just to save it to the end, just in case that we start talking about it and can't not talk about it. So, so it's like at least there's some reason for us to have something preventing us from letting that carry us away for the whole conversation. Yeah, so. and you know, for me, for me, it's not like a huge part of my life at this point. I'm just probably very like low level in terms of like what I do with it. But yeah, man, I don't really, I don't really care to get into all the, cause there's a lot of politics around that now as well. Too. Oh, for so sure. Like there's constant stuff feeding that, but there's, there's a lot more exciting to stuff to talk about in my opinion and the creator economy and, and, and things like that. And the shit that I'm working on that you're oh, working tons. on. I think there's way, way more important stuff to, uh, to chat about than the, than the AI stuff that everyone's talking about. Yeah. One question I have for you. So one thing yeah. I've kind of come to believe recently, well, actually, I'll, I'll come back to this question. I'm going to highlight it real quick with my highlighter uh, so that I do genuinely come back to it. But mm-hmm. the question I have for you, I keep picking up on this, right? And it's not that observant of me to pick up on is the word journey, right? Yep. I mean, your podcast mm-hmm. is the journey. And I think your Twitter, Twitter is like the journey. Everything is the journey. And like, how did that become a piece of your brand? Like, what's the framing around it's not just like, it's the journey, right? It's like the journey. I mean, tell me actually like how the branding is conceptualized and why that's your branding. Um, so I went through, uh, I went through an exercise that I had actually never gone through before. So I tried to do a lot of this stuff myself. And then finally at the, uh, beginning of 2022, I, um, actually brought somebody on board, uh, to, to help me with the branding and sort of bring all the, like my ideas basically to life. And, um, what we're going through sort of, uh, my, my journey, you know, uh, no pun intended is like everything had its own little learning lesson. Everything had its own little timestamp of when these things happen, why they happen, how they happen. And sort of had this process, but in, I think when you talk about, um, being a creator or I think, I think creator and entrepreneur now at, the, at this point in the world, at least in my, you know, little corner of the universe are synonymous to each other. So I think they, so I'll I'll refer to as creator, but I think it's too easy to focus on what other people have and how quickly or slowly they've been able to acquire where they are now versus focusing on what you can do for yourself. And I think that's where a lot of people get really lost 
is that I don't think that they focus enough on themselves and they're always peeking over the fence and looking at what everybody else is doing. And granted, there's a, probably a little bit you can learn, but I always believe that you, no matter, my saying goes, if you give two people the same business plan, you get two completely different businesses. Because I think we all have our own level of creativity. When you get put into a situation, like the way you read this book and the way I read this book is probably very differently of how it correlates to our life and how we absorb it. And yeah, I think that's the same a, thing. Like yeah. a, cor a corollary, right? That's a bit of a math term. But a corollary is this is what you're saying on your podcast with Danny Miranda as well, right? The same person reading the same book, but on audio versus in print is a complete. So it's not just two people reading the same book, but it's even yep. the same person reading the same book on print versus on Kindle versus on audio. Like even yep. that's a whole 100%. different set of outcomes. 100%. And I think that the when you talk about anything, your podcast, your your business, your, all of that, there's... I don't ever believe that there's a true like end point to anything. I think everything is a long-term like process and journey. Um, so to answer your question, that's kind of how it came about because I just realized that every business that I've started or stopped or whatever, I still carry things from that, what I've learned with me on that journey. And so it's this, if you look at it as like a, like almost like an umbrella, there's like a long line, which is the journey. And then there's all these little like, points in that journey that are part of it and i don't think it ever ends until you're you know six feet under type yeah i'm really hyped to be interviewing it's kind of funny uh danco which is in my head almost okay. rhymes was latko's latko danco i don't know <laughs> just like, i like was writing out danco on this outline for the pr interview i'm interviewing him on thursday in person which will be super fun nice but, nice man uh and there's a quote that i wrote down from one of his videos in, in prep saying starting over on the unconventional path isn't starting over Right. And that's right. kind of what you're saying, right? Everything along the journey is like, no, that was, it's just, I think part of what motivates entrepreneurial people to be entrepreneurial is they just have the logical faculties to be like, to see incentive misalignments and being unwilling to live in an unaligned environment once they understand the premise of incentive alignments. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, like if you fail in a business setting, like it does actually lead to bad things happening sometimes, or sorry, not yep. a business setting and a corporate setting or like in like yep. a job traditional employment mm -hmm. environments maybe more so than business setting but like self you know the journey of being self-employed and doing your projects is just like the learning of failure gets translated into like actually making you better right away mm -hmm. like it's just like mm -hmm. an immediate benefit it's like it's actually mm -hmm. a good thing and it's like back to nasim slab but like it's like you are genuinely in an anti-fragile that the dynamics of the situation are genuinely anti-fragile whereas Absolutely. you're actually fragile as an employee so those are some thoughts I had. No, uh, and and I'm glad you uh, I'm glad you brought that up because it kind of um, correlates and not to not to sit here and and talk about like the shit that I'm building necessarily or anything like that. But I mean, I had this... you were invited here to sit here and talk about the shit that you're building. So I mean, by all means, yeah, you might be right. But um, I had this couple of weeks ago. I had this sort of aha moment happen, and and this kind of correlates to what we talk about when you said shit thirty bob atomic essays and you know um i don't know you've taken the course or you haven't taken the course yeah i took the third or fourth cohort in january of 2021 okay okay so there's a there's a level where they talk about when you get to the twitter side of things like your niche and the things you want to talk about and get super specific and four a's something like yeah, that exactly exactly and so just getting down to that level where you feel uncomfortably like niche where you feel like is anybody even going to listen to me but 
you know, that sort of thing. And so as I was going through that exercise, I, I realized that I kept com- coming back. I was doing handwriting for those like notes and my Twitter profile and how I wanted to optimize it and things like that. Um, because for me, I'm, I'm kind of all over the place, right? I've SaaS products, I have agency stuff, I have podcasts, I'm writing newsletter. I'm like, I have a lot of things, but it's all basically one big, you know, thing. And what I've always prided myself on, Lewis, is that I have an enormous amount of ideas that come to me to the point where I don't even have the bandwidth or the time to execute those ideas. But if it was up to me, like I could spin things up pretty damn quickly. And what I've started to realize online with a lot of other creators or people who want to get into the creator economy, that step from the time that you have an idea to the step that you actually take action, which is the zero to one, nothing more. I'm not talking about making a hundred million dollars. I'm not talking about, you know, any of that stuff. Just simply saying, Hey dude, I have an idea to make, I don't know, fucking better book covers. That's something that just popped in your head. You're like, dude, I don't like what, what this does. I spill coffee, whatever. You just have this idea. How you go about that in the, in the first step is what gives you that momentum to take the second, third and fourth and fifth step. And it could be very small things. It could be, you know, registering a domain name, building a landing page, like these little steps that start to build. It's like building a house. You don't see a house when you see a piece of gravel, you see the foundation, then you see this and you're like, oh, this shit's coming in real life. we got to make choices about, you know, how do we design the kitchen or how do we do this or how we do that? Like there's a process that you go through. And I believe nowadays with the low barrier of entry and almost like no cost to starting something online, um, I think too many people are not taking the opportunity to do that. And so I'm actually been for the past like two to three weeks now, been working on an actual course that takes people from the idea level to that first step that they need to take to make their business somewhat real. Now, is that going to be the $100 million business that you start today that in five years you're going to cash out? Maybe, but probably not. And the process about what you learn and how to even set up a landing page, how to build a newsletter, how to generate content for your Twitter or whatever that might be, those pieces of information you learn in that step become second nature as you keep doing it down the road and you start learning new things about how to program, how to do this. It starts to become this web of things. But my goal with this course is just simply zero to one and get you off of your ass and get you, you know, working on your business. And that's not talking about spending five hours a day. I'm talking about four hours a week at the max that you can probably put into it and see something over a period of time come to life and be like, dude, I fucking built this. Like, let me talk about it. Let me get people's feedback. Let me optimize. Let me, let me figure all these out. And I think that's a, that's a really important step that we, a lot of people are missing because we're all tied up in now the AI world and all these like fast instant gratifications. But dude, somebody at a nine to five can find an hour to two hours a week, guaranteed, no matter how busy, what kind of family life they can find if they really want to put their effort into that. And I'm a true believer that that's like a really big unlock for a lot of people. No, people have to not have to. I don't like to say that. This will preach you. The bi- learning the bias towards action is game changing. Yeah. Just like you have a yeah. free hour to do yeah. something. Is that going to be a creative hour or a consumption hour? And the more that you habitually are 60% of the time, 51% of the time doing something creative, right? Production rather than consumption with those, I call them like an inflection point in your day. Yep. Right. Those inflection points. It's like you just, you come home from work, 
you're at this like point of inflection. You're about to walk through your door. What's the first thing that you do? Yeah. And like, it's which way do you go, right? Which way Western man type thing? And I think that's a really important. One thing I like to think about, you know, I think a lot of entrepreneurial types, like, again, they have really productive beliefs. They have good habits in general, and they see other people that like, again, and it's not about thinking that you're better than other people or thinking you have things yeah. figured out. It's just like, I did this and I'm so much happier because I now do this. And you, it's very easy to see people around you who haven't figured those things out yet. Exactly. And so then you spend a lot of time asking yourself, like, how do I get this person to see things the way I see them? And it's all sorts of different ways, whether it's like you just want someone to like realize that they could lose weight and that it could actually be really straightforward if they just cut it's out a, this one food. Or it's like you want them to like start making progress like they have. You know, their their intention is to like be an entrepreneur, but they're not taking the types of actions. So it's like, mm -hmm. how do you it's always asking yourself, like, what is the one like, how do I actually name this? Right. How do I actually conceptualize this? Like, what is the core? Not necessarily the core, but what is a a hook that like is digestible by this other person that will lead to them taking progress in what I perceive to be the right direction. And, and they will agree as well. So it's like, what is that little habit? Because again, just saying like ambiguously, you should have a side hustle, right? Like having that conversation yeah. with someone that doesn't get them from A to B. But no, it's like, no, it does getting specifically down to like, when you come home from work, like Wednesday afternoons, 5.30pm, are you going to be, you know, on this zoom call every week, learning this thing, or, you know, on like, a, there's something called focus me. I don't know if you're familiar with focus me. Yeah. It's like a virtual co-working app for people who aren't familiar with it. You can you sign up, you can take like a, it's like Omegle, but like with productivity. And basically, so it's like, what if every Wednesday at 5.30 p.m., all you did was just commit to going on one of those sessions and like doing something creative, like literally just like listing ideas. It's just yep. something that is digestible and con easily conceptualized to actually mm -hmm. improve the probability that like people help themselves. Yep, yep, exactly. And I think um, now we're getting so, things are moving so quickly that people want to go from, hey, I have an idea to making a million dollars. Unfortunately, no matter how much AI and how much bullshit you put behind that, you're never going to do that. And if somebody's selling you that dream, you're the fool here. So yeah. I think that's the biggest thing to realize. Another big thing with that is like reframing success, right? Like yep. One, it's like having a long-term mindset and seeing like, okay, this is going to lead to me developing the skills such that one day I'll be able to do this. But like when I, I launched my first SaaS a couple of weeks ago, right? And I was not like, this needs to make them a lot of money. For me, it's like success is I build a SaaS and people use it and they try it. And now I've like yep. built this, you know, the skill set. I've added the tool to my tool belt of like what it takes to like build a SaaS landing page and build a SaaS That's pricing right. page and figure out member authentication. Like this is successful if it, if it works. Yep. And, and now if you it's take like, it with you wherever you go, right? Like exactly. you take that, you're like, hey, I learned something, learned these four steps here in building this SaaS. Now, replicating into your next SaaS is going to be like half the time or a third of the time that it took you the first time. So exactly. So it's like trying to achieve everything that you're trying to achieve in the first go rounds is just silly. It's just yeah, it's, setting yourself up for failure in terms of in your own eyes. Absolutely. Whereas if you changed what success looks like, right? Success for me for the first 25 episodes of the podcast was I published 25 episodes. Like that's it. Seeing it through is success. It is a successful yeah. experiment just by seeing it through not exactly. by needing all of these external things to also happen. And then there will exactly. come a point where you feel like that is inevitable. It's like, okay, now I feel like for the next 25 episodes, success is going to be more than just getting them out. But also potentially it's not, right? That's not like in terms of long-term consistency, realistically, right. success for the next 25 episodes is just publishing another 25 episodes and having another 25 great conversations. Exactly, exactly. And if you could keep doing that 25 times at a time, then you are going to be doing pretty fucking well. So one thing I've been thinking a lot about is 
one mentor at a time. So for example, when you're in Ship 30 for 30, you really commit to the idea that like Dickie Bush and Nicholas Cole, that's two people, but like the aggregate of them is one brain, one yeah. course is like one consistent mentor for the next 30 days. That's who I'm learning from. You know, I joined a mastermind a couple months ago from Cold Email Wizard. I'm like, he's my guy. Like the way he sees the world is how I'm going to start seeing the world. That's why yeah. I paid him money. That's why I'm in this program right now. Is there one rather than like a lot of people, right? Open a book by Derek Sivers, then they open Cal Newport, then they open Tim Ferriss, then they open The One Thing, and then they open 75 yeah. Hard. And like they're doing all five of these things at once. So it's like, I found that like if, it's nice to be like, who's your mentor right now? And like mm -hmm. only have one answer to that. Like there's one guy I'm learning from, and that is who I'm learning from. And those that's the indoctrination I'm doing. Do you have a specific answer to that at present? You mean one specific person that I'm learning from? If, if the there's moment? like one person you're learning from right now, like one creator, it's like, if I could. If I only was consuming one person for the next, whether it's two weeks or two years, and like I'm just committed to mastery of their material and like truly under like indoctrinating myself with their worldview, because I feel like there's something they get that since I don't quite get it, I'm not getting the results I want to get. But once I get that, like this next level of results will probably be more probable. That's a really good question. I guess I don't really look at it as um, uh, uh, putting myself in sort of their shoes i think that i i would point to something very similar but different would be um a skill set that i'm really focused on at the moment so i go through these phases sure. of like you know for, that's a great for way example, of reframing it yeah so like going from like writing like writing became like what that obsessive hey this is what i just need to do and what kind of writing it wasn't really important now that i understood the concept i've been able to write every single day for an extended period of time over well over a year now I'm like, okay, shit, like, how about taking this now and leveling it up into like copywriting for a landing page or start doing more storytelling or start, you know, start moving it along in a different way. For example, this course that I was talking about, one of my biggest things is that I'm using a lot of stories to share from my life and how this has helped me again. Is this going to be the end all be all for somebody? Maybe, but probably not. But is it going to hopefully get them off their ass and just say, hey, I could put two hours a week to start with and just say, hey, today it's spend one hour learning on YouTube or whatever tool that I'm planning on using. And then tomorrow is going to be one hour spent on me actually putting that learning to use and seeing something come to life because that's instinctually when the momentum starts to hit mentally and you go, oh shit, I can actually do this. All right, what's next? What's next? What's next? And you start to realize that in five weeks or less or more, it doesn't matter. You have something that you could potentially make some extra money off of. Like, if something is that's a service, whatever that might be, um, that's something that we can we can you know uh, you know funnel into something more like to monetize it or whatever that might be. So I think that's just the 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 process. I mean, I know what you mean. Um, well, in many ways, I'm doing the same thing. I've just embodied, not embodied, encapsulated right the skill in a person who has the skill. Yep. yep so exactly. when Cal Newport was my guy, right? It's like yep. I want to learn the skill of productivity of concentration of focus mm -hmm. and he's the guy who embodies he's the or he encapsulates embodies he's the epitome of that yep. skill so i'm going to study him because what, whatever he's doing it leads to executing that skill well right yep. and then with client ascension daniel fazio cold email wizard on twitter i wanted the skill of lead generation and he's the guy yep, yep. who's like the way he sees the world because again it's 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 about deprioritizing tactics and it's mm -hmm. not deprioritizing tactics but putting mindset ahead of tactics in terms of like it's how you see clients it's how you see sales it's the non-attachment of sales it's the idea that your offer has to be a no-brainer rather than the tactic of you know a guarantee blah 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 it's like understanding no like this has to be so good that someone would literally feel stupid saying no 
like understanding right. and internalizing the beliefs of the person with that skill set. And then lately, the person that's been is this guy named Bash, who's been on the podcast. And it's like, because he embodies happiness and positivity and joy. And I was like, I want to embody those things. I want those skills because I yep. believe all three of those things are skills. Uh, yep. You have to learn how to build your life in a way that you are happy and you have the beliefs and again, all of the underlying mechanisms. So that I guess was a, that's a cool reframe for me to help me understand why I'm like committing to the person in that way. Because it's not yep. about like, I just want to copy this person, but it's like this person embodies a skill, has an attribute. That's what I care most about acquiring. And that's why it's like that person. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think uh, for me in the, in the world of writing, because I, I'm familiar on how to build products. I'm familiar with that whole world. I'm familiar with like service businesses. I'm familiar with a lot of that stuff. There's obviously more that I can, that I can learn and, and, uh, do there, but now, you know, through writing, like somebody like David Perel, for example, is a very big, um, I love his emails. If you're, if you're interested in another, like his emails are great. Um, he's very much gone into, uh, you know, doing these amazing courses called Rite of Passage, where he teaches you how to write. Now he's doing some other things. He's became a, basically renounced, renowned himself as like a creator CEO. And I, that really resonated like that moment right there. I was read his newsletter and I was like, oh shit, that's a really fucking cool title. Like if I have to, I hate the word founder. I hate the word CEO. Like even people in my company that like call me, I'm like, no, I don't really care about that. I understand that that's my role because that's just inevitable. But like at the same time that when he said creator, I'm like, oh dude, that's it right there. Like creators, like I just want to be on the creative side of things and I don't want to care about too much about the day-to-day side of things. If So that's why I'm working on a lot of this stuff for myself where I can actually just focus on building out my newsletter, my podcast and all these other things because all of that funnels people down into my brand. My favorite David Perel essay is a newsletter that's part of the every rite of passage email sequence about why he leaves parties early. Have you read that one? Yeah, 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 I have. I that have. one's phenomenal. I have. Do you have uh, not like a favorite David Perel essay as, that comes to mind? Um, He's got so many like, classics. I, he does. And I actually just enjoy reading his uh, newsletter, Friday Finds, and about his like world of exploration and like taking that with you and just being curious about everything. His, his, curiosity his appreciation is, of aesthetics, right, is, is beautiful. That's I think. right. Exactly. And I think uh, the level of curiosity that he carries with him everywhere he goes and whatever he does, it really clicks with me because I'm the same exact way. I can be sitting at a restaurant and I'll ask a million different questions about the fucking fork. Like, it's just curiosity kicks in. I'm like, how was this made? Who made this? Well, like that sort of thing. And I think that's a, that's a really important superpower that I think more people need to embrace. We all have it. It's just a matter of people being open to asking stupid questions sometimes. So for your podcast right now, again, we've discussed that it's very, as a lot of other things, motivated by intrinsic curiosity, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, literally just, I want to talk to this person because Mm -hmm. they have things going on. What are the next slate of guests, like the common theme, if it's like, is if it's like a themed chapters type thing, again, you don't have like explicit seasons, but if you look through the history of my podcast, for example, you'll see like, you know, a 20 episode batch where nine of the episodes were about crypto and five of them were about this and four of them were about this, right? There's that random degree of like certain people just get introduced to me and mm-hmm. I want to introduce them. So like, for example, this several months ago, like I said, when I first started this agency, the goal was like learning lead leads like lead generation yeah. so there's like sales guy sales guy sales guy sales guy sales guy sales guy and then kind of pull just like random crypto people that are just kind of introductions that have matriculated 
what's your next maybe like three to six months of guests look like, whether you've already defined that and like have people in the queue or are prepping a batch of outreach? Dude, so the way I go about it actually is that it, it, it's directly correlated to content and stuff that I'm reading um, and the people that reach out to me or I reach out to. Um, I'm very, I'm one of these people, Louis, when I see somebody do something uh, awesome, um, whether it's build a product or whatever that might be, um, even if I've never connected with that person, somehow it just slid across like my, my feed and I was like, oh shit, this is kind of cool. I'm one of those people that I'll actually go into DMs or find an email or, or both sometimes and just say, hey, just saw what you did. And I just want to say props and I love the work and I love what you did here and sort of just give them that to like, you know, sit on. And if they want to respond or not respond, that's up to them. Majority of people will respond because it's just a genuine like, dude, good shit. Like, I, I love seeing that. And I think from those scenarios, a lot of the time, um, or, or I see something is that I'll just be like, man, I'd love to have that. I, like you said, I see one little clip about somebody saying something and it hits me and I'm like, I want to have them on my podcast because I feel like either I have a lot of questions or it connects with me in, in some sort of way that I want to explore that a little bit further. So I actually don't have a going Rolodex of actual guests. I'm more just sort of free falling when it comes to that point of it, because I'm just, every moment is very different. And so this conversation sparks maybe in a few weeks, I have you on my podcast or whatever that might be. So I'm just kind of more organic when it comes to that kind of stuff. So, um, but it's mostly creators, dude. I just want to talk to people building cool shit. I just want to talk to people who are expanding their horizons, people that are curious, people that are, you know, uh, wanting to do something outside of the norm. Like I'm okay talking to the, you know, to the shoe shiner across the street who has a unique uh, perspective and zero followers on Twitter. And also the guy who maybe has a hundred thousand followers, but is just running like a small one, one man business on the side. Like I want to know all perspectives of, of, of life when it comes to that. One thing I, I kind of see myself you know, on a path to being in a similar position to where you're in, right? So I'm scaling a service-based business. It's going well. Mm -hmm. I see the path forward is is pretty is becoming clearer every day in terms of mm -hmm. how we double down, how we reach our revenue goals, how we can afford to bring on team members and kind of get to this point where it's like, okay, this is like humming of its own accord. And it's like, now we have kind of bandwidth to explore these like exploratory things. So the difficulty we're facing is basically like decision-making is decision-making and prioritization. What's mm -hmm. your attitude towards, again, because I think one thing that's interesting about you is not to say that you don't seem disciplined about um, taking on new ideas, but you do seem just like really open. Whereas I kind of have maybe it's a scarcity mindset about like how much mm -hmm. time I have, quantity, but I'm like, okay, this is sort of working. This is sort of working. This is sort of working. Yeah, this new idea also might be really cool, but like, am I better off letting this die than actually taking it from zero to one quickly? So mm -hmm. what's been like your attitude around, again, juggling? is one way for it. You have several mm -hmm. things going on. They're all, I think, again, since you're a skilled operator, you have a decade plus of experience. Like, you know what you're doing. The things are working well. Like, do you see it as like discipline, distraction, focus, prioritization? How do you decide whether or not you're actually going to like take on a new project seriously? Is, is it going to come at the expense of doing something you're already doing as well as you're doing it? How do you answer those um, questions? What's your dialogue around that? Honestly, a lot of the stuff that I do kind of fit into... Um, so I'm transitioning. So I'd be actually interested to hear what, you know, about your agency and what you guys do. But what I've basically done is I'm transitioning from a place of um, building a big team, a big agency for past like four or five years, I think five years at this point, um, to transitioning into the 
to the more creator side of things and doing things on my own, um, you know, a, a lot through writing and, and my podcast and stuff like that. And that's where I want to really monetize and, and set myself up in, in a different way than I did before. Um, I love service businesses. I think they're great. I think there's a lot there, uh, but there's also different types of service, service, service businesses that I really don't really care for that much anymore. And for me right now, that care doesn't go into doing day-to-day work at my service agency. And I think when I look at that time that I spend there and what I have to do there and taking that and shifting into something that I know I can create, maybe it's a, it's a course or a, a paid newsletter or a podcast or a partnership with somebody or collaboration. Um, I actually now I'm building something that's more of like an ecosystem. So whatever new idea I have, it's sort of part of one big like landscape. And I don't think to me, it's about focusing on something. I I don't look at focus as something you have to do every single day on the same thing. I'm more in the wheelhouse of, I want to wake up and figure out what the fuck I want to do that day. If I want to check my e-commerce sales and do some marketing there, or if I want to, you know, build out the onboarding flow for my new SaaS business, like I kind of take those things as they come because I don't, I don't try to control my creativity and point it into one direction. And I think for me, it's like, if I start a project today and I don't get it done, for example, I don't know, in two months, um, and it dies out, it dies out. Like it was something I was excited for. And I obviously wasn't excited enough to keep going. So I'm not going to put my time into it. But if there's a calling, if something keeps pulling me back into that, like this course that I'm building right now, like it keeps pulling me back all the time, whatever I'm doing, I'm like, oh, I need to go back. That's a sign. I look at those signs and I'm like, that's something that I really enjoy. And that's something. Like my energy wants to go there and it's making me feel really good. And that's how I decide if I really want to pursue it or not. And to be truthful with you, why I don't can't build out all these like ideas and different things like that is because honestly, like I can have 200 people like full-time employed and they've always have something to work on the amount of ideas that I have. So for me, it's just, I'm dialing it back by simply saying, let's stay in this little wheelhouse here of SaaS, you know, digital like products, like courses email newsletter, like let it all feed one another. Because if I do something here, I don't want to have to repeat the process and do it over here. Instead, if I send something out of my newsletter, like let it trickle through all the little like veins that I've built already. We, we've answered the question, who you podcast for, right? It's for you. It's for your curiosity. And the course seems to have a clear avatar, but like you're writing in general, like your Twitter following and your newsletter, who are you writing that for? People who are looking to get into the side of building some sort of side hustle or, or a business of their own. So early stage entrepreneurs and people that are simply want to put their foot in that water that want to understand how something works or understanding a mindset and seeing why there's a lot of struggle and there's a lot of good parts. And there's, you know, it's, it's just giving them the best picture possible of what that looks like and some guidance around, you know, Hey, don't, don't fucking do this because this is just a money wasting thing. Instead, try these other three things that's, that are very similar and that you could probably do a lot faster. So it's like, well, the difference would be if I'm talking to a bunch of people, I wouldn't say, Hey, you need to go fi- uh, find the perfect Python developer who knows Node.js and all these like programming languages. Um, to me, it's more like, dude, see what you can do on your own before you go down that rabbit hole and figure out like what the easiest way is. Like, I don't care to tell you what kind of programmer you need. I'm here more to tell you, like, you don't really need that until a certain point because that's just overkill. Like, you're overthinking the process. And I've done it enough times now, Louis, that, like, 
I just don't really care to overcomplicate the process. I don't care for everything to look perfect. I'm just more like, hey, execution is king. And if I can execute, new things will come from that rather than thinking that I have to sit on this idea for two months and figure out the perfect visual and all these other things. Like I'm over that process. So for that new entrepreneur, right? Like overcomplicating it, overthinking it. That's a really super key one, super key. What are a couple other big mindset shifts that like, again, were important parts of your journey where you feel as if, right, my journey accelerated in some important way after I made this mindset shift, right? Because that's how I would understand the importance of this newsletter. One of many right ways of framing the importance of it is I'm imparting these mindset shifts and these beliefs that when I change them, my life got better as an entrepreneur. Are there any additional that come to mind besides just simplify, don't overcomplicate go, the things you were just saying? Yeah. Um, I would also say, um, don't, don't care to, like if at all, but don't care about your competition. Honestly, I think that's, uh, um, that's one of these things where people really get caught up because once you look over the fence, you want to keep looking and seeing what somebody else is doing. Um, I think for me is just like go and go in your own direction, like create your own. Yes. Take some guidance from people and understand certain things, certain aspects of it. But when it comes to how you do sales and how you do these things, try it yourself first and see if there's something that you stumble upon yourself before you go and take a template and from person this and person that. So I think it's just a matter of like willing to be vulnerable, like vulnerability opened up the floodgates for a lot of things in my world and in my business. And vulnerability also made me understand like being being vulnerable to myself and saying, what does actually really give you energy versus like what you're doing right now? Is it, you know, are you actually happy at this agency? Is it actually doing what it's and being vulnerable in that moment to say, you know what, actually it's not as much as I wanted to. And I'm, and I'm working on things every day. It's just, I'm not very excited. So let me go and push that into something else. And I think vulnerability is a really, really big thing. Like a clear mindset, it'll, it's, it's a, it's an absolute hack. I always contextualize in terms of permission, it's like, you have to give yourself permission. Like for a long time, you weren't giving yourself permission to feel a certain way. And then yeah. you all of a sudden do give yourself permission to feel that way. Exactly. I think something that's interesting that happens to a lot of people, right. Is they're in a job they don't like or yep. in a situation they don't like to generalize it that we don't need to generalize it. And then all of a sudden, a new opportunity comes their way that they're so excited about that they're all of a sudden willing to entertain the idea of quitting their job to go take that new opportunity. Mm -hmm. But then mm -hmm. what they don't realize, right, these are kind of like the side effects, the byproducts of that realization is, okay, so even if that new opportunity doesn't materialize or you decide that new opportunity is not the good fit, what did we just discover? We just right. discovered that you're giving, that you are, are the reason, like you're willing to entertain leaving your job because you're not happy in it. And like, all of those kind mm -hmm. of other byproducts come about in terms of like the ancillary realizations that are still useful because now it's like you've actually given yourself permission to entertain the idea or you shatter the assumption of like, I have to stay in my job. I have no choice. Like I'm stuck in this situation. Exactly. Exactly. And I think also um, understanding, I think one of the big things for people uh, to kind of double down on that last answer I gave you, I think a lot of people now are also not not really realizing how easy it is to start something and get into something without spending any kind of um but let's like elaborate not, on that because people will hear that and they're just going to continually not believe you until you give a couple examples that click 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, simply just saying, hey, I want to create a new, let's call it in a very saturated market, um, we call it a task management tool. Another fucking task management tool, the most perfect task management tool that you think you can absolutely build. The reality of that is, is that you're not building the best tool, you're building a tool. If you're trying to build the best tool, then you have to go do whatever everyone else is doing, put it into your tool, and then improve that by 10 times, and that's going to take you fucking ages and ages to do. Instead, if you were just to say, I have this one problem with every task management tool, and I'm just going to build for this, everything else will be very standard. Hey, there's a Kanban board, there's a check mark, there's this, the, all those simplified things are there. Let's, let's take that out of the picture. But what is that one big problem that, oh, you wanted to just simply move your tasks from, hey, I didn't get to this task yesterday, move it into my today automatically or some sort of feature. That's where I think you need to, you need to put in that like 90% of work is to figure out where that little thing that differentiates you from the hundred thousand other task management tools and go after those people and share that experience online. I think too many people try to go and uh, I'm going to build the next Asana or the next Trello or whatever else it is. If you're already thinking that big, you've already lost because at that point, like you're at zero and they're at like a billion dollars. And so if you want to go in that direction, then that's cool. But that comes with a lot of things such as investors and HR people and all these other things. Do you really need to care about that at this moment? 100% no. Like that's something that you should not care about at this point. At this point, you should just bring a product that works to life and that works in that very moment. And everything that happens after that is going to be the natural mutation of customer feedback about your different new ideas that come to mind and potentially pivoting at some point and saying, you know what, this is not in anymore. This is just a feature to a much bigger problem that we're experiencing. So I think just, just slimming that down, that thinking funnel, slimming that down a little bit, it goes a, absolutely a long way. Yeah, I'm writing that down as simplified, simplified differentiators being the takeaway. Yeah, well, I'll give you an example of how I'm already applying that in my head in the two minutes since you started the introduced that idea to me. I run my and again, we can speak more in depth offline to the extent you're interested. But my agency is generally speaking, IT services. Okay, data and analytics, software engineering, uh, configuring ad accounts, ad attribution, just like a lot of the technical pieces of running a business, right? IT consulting. Anyway, people like I've been doing a lot of these exercises, right, from books and from coaches, whatever. That's like, why is your business different? What are your differentiators? And that's mm -hmm. something I always overthink. And I think some of it is literally just genuinely. One of our big differentiators is that, first of all, we're young and we're happy and we have social skills. So it's like it is literally just your IT tech team, whatever, but all U.S. based, right, or U.S. based account managers will say that much. So like your point of contact is US based. And we're happy. It's just like because so many IT services have this mm -hmm. belief that it's like, I'm just talking to nerds who like, oh, don't know how to talk to anyone who's not a computer. Like, it's like, people don't like working with an IT agency, because it's like their point of contact is just a nerd who like doesn't have social skills. And it's like unhappy and is in a dark room, like cracked out mm -hmm. on Mountain Dew. And like our differentiator really doesn't need to be much more than just like, happy, vibrant, and we understand business. And like, that's it. Like, that's plenty. Like, and yeah. we're as good as IT as everyone else. Like, I, I just didn't feel like that was enough, right? I had to like have something more clever, but like that is the differentiator, right? Because it's like the other, other businesses also aren't going to like screw up your projects, uh, potentially, but like, yeah, we deliver on time. We deliver exceptionally quality work and we have social skills. We're happy and you're not going to find that anywhere else.
Yeah. And, uh, your tagline should literally be like, we're, uh, uh we're the happy, the coolest uh, software engineer you ever met. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's like, it's literally like, you know, uh, we're your happy IT team, so stop being unhappy with the other guys or something like that, right? Like it's just like it's not boring. It's like a pattern interrupt. Exactly. Exactly. And I think um I think to me, you also don't need to in the very early stages, and I know I didn't have this and I was able to grow my agency to quite a high level, is I I started off with offering e-commerce or web services across uh WooCommerce, Magento, and Shopify. And I quickly listened for signals. I saw all the contact form stuff that came up, the leads and everything. And it was very, very easy to realize that Shopify was the next big move and that we needed to double down into that. So what made us different in that space? Uh, we didn't have a budget requirement because we were just starting out. So that put us into a bucket of like Shopify experts that, you know, will basically take on any other job or whatever. Yeah, else without it is. minimums. Exactly. And so that became one. And then the second layer that started to grow. So like, what I'm trying to say is you don't need to have those differentiators in the beginning. In fact, I think you build those over time when you start realizing it's like building features into your, into your app. You start to realize the problems that people are having and what they need. And then you start becoming that solution yeah. for them as time goes on. I think that's, that's the way you, you well, need to look at it. it. And it comes back to I what I think that people are, people are one thing, right? Like you can have happy people, but at the same time, it's like, how are you like, there's a lot of clients who are not happy. So maybe they don't care about happy people, but they're also going to be able to say, you know what? He delivered on time. So you keep building, like you keep stacking these features that they feel like everything that they've done is, has been, you know, great work. And the stuff we don't like is not there. And the stuff that we do like is there. Like that's all that matters. Yeah. You're, you're stacking the differentiators, but back to what we were saying about Dickie and Cole, uh, from ship 30 for 30. And this is, a lot, you know, I'm gonna save the super drawn out historical example, maybe I'm not going to save it. But and this is very Jordan Peterson esque. I'm, I'm bringing a lot of disciplines into one singular point here. But what they say, right, what you're saying to me, which makes so much sense, right, is you don't say I'm going to start this agency, and this is going to be your differentiator, right? Yeah. You do your work, then you look back and say, mm-hmm. okay, what did we do differently from everyone else? Right? So that is discovered. That is, there's a word for it. But it is, you know, Jordan Peterson in the psychological significance of the Bible lecture series talks about the Ten Commandments, right? And is it that, you know, God revealed them to the Jewish people at Mount Sinai? Or is it that, you know, they're already living in accordance to, to a set of values as they were living? And basically, it was just someone enumerating what you're already doing and what was working and why the society like was structured. So it's just doing your and then back to, and then to t- tie it back to what Dick and Cole are saying, right? It's like, they didn't say, like, you just start writing for your 30 days. And then at the end of your 30 days, it's like, oh, this was the theme about what we talked about. So it's like not, and again, same thing with the podcast and Daniel Miranda talks about yeah. this and we talk about this. Like we didn't know, why is it called the Lewis and Kyle show? Why is it called the journey, right? Or why is it called Curious Brains or whatever is going on? It's because you didn't know at the day one, was the podcast different? What the niche is? How we're different mm-hmm. from everyone else? You're not gonna mm-hmm. just arbitrarily pick something and decide it and talk about it. You're just gonna like mm-hmm. do your thing, have a lot of conversations and then it will reveal itself. And then you're just, simply analyzing the previous year and being like, this is what was special about the podcast. Exactly. Which is to your point exactly. about everything comes back to just start a project. Just start a just, project and do stuff and then look back on it later and come up with your marketing value proposition and your feature props, but just like pick the thing and start doing something. Then, oh, the, and pick the, yeah. And, and, pick, and pick the thing that you feel like you can get excited about. I think that's another part of it. And the people just, you know, 
there's this notion of like, don't focus only on the things you're passionate about. And um, I agree with that. I don't think you should chase passion, but I think you need to mix passion with like consistency in order to keep that wheel moving forward when the darkest and the brightest days come around, right? Like I think consistency is one thing that, and consistency doesn't mean every minute, every day, every week, every month, it could be whenever it could be, Hey, I'm going to be consistent two times out of the, out of the week to work on my, on my business. If that's your consistency level, then just keep doing that until you get to three days, four days, five days, and you realize, hey, I'm pretty much doing this full time and I'm making money. Like, why am I even at a nine to five anymore? So it's just this process of like evolving. Be okay with like things taking time and evolving and not looking at, hey, I'm starting today, but I'm starting my podcast today. But wait, how did Lewis get 10,000 people to subscribe to his YouTube channel? Well, he didn't get to 10,000 from zero. He got to 10,000 by one, by two, by three, by four, and then to a thousand. And then from there on. So I think that people need to, need to compress, like scale down their time frames a little bit more and say, let's not worry about two weeks or three weeks from now. Let's worry about today and tomorrow. And when today and tomorrow are over, we'll worry about, you know, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And then we'll go from there because the more that we go as ahead of the, ahead of the process, the more you're going to look back and say, oh, well, what the fuck was I even doing? It's just like, no, just take it step by step and learn shit. Like, just be, just be interested. Like my, my thing is focus on the thing that you feel like you can talk about day in and day out and find people that are willing to pay for your product or services. And I guarantee you there's some, somebody out there and the billions of people in this world, there's somebody out there that's going to spend money or they're going to give you some feedback to say, hey, I actually think that there's, you know, a better way to do this or here's what you can do to optimize. Yeah, I have so much I could say about that. Uh, I think I'll just ask one quick question and then we'll, we'll wrap up though. Yeah. Is there an idea completely outside of everything we've mentioned, just like a new kind of baby incubated idea that's fun and exciting for you? So you got, if you had a team of 200 people, you'd keep them busy. So I, I just hand you 10 engineers tomorrow. I'm like, here you go. You can borrow my team of 10 engineers. They're not busy. So here's 10 engineers for a month. So they have something to do. Uh, what are you going to task them with? Honestly, man, I think that uh, what I would do is... Man, I, I thinking about it from an engineering perspective, I haven't figured that out just yet. Like, I, I can't think at the moment, like, what that idea would be. It could be. also be 10 people with a different skill set, maybe. It's like, okay, I have 10 extra writers for you. I have 10 extra graphic designers for you. I have 10 product people. Like, what are you going to do to keep those people busy? I think I would go down the down the list and create a lot, a lot of info products at the moment because there's, I think, um, and, and different type of info products. Like, how to build a Shopify app, how to build a regular SaaS business, how to do that, like almost like document that process to give people sort of the power. Um, one thing for me that I really think is a, is the next kind of wave of, of, um, uh, just simply using, you know, tie back to like the AI thing. I think there's a bare minimum level of AI you can use to get somebody off the ground and same, like what's in my course, like, simply knowing how to prompt it to give you a good copywriting like thing for your landing page or whatever that might be to cut down that even time. Because every time that people do something, they're going to be stuck one uh, in one place. And so right now, the idea that I'm actually working on is taking a newsletter, like what I send out on a weekly basis, putting it into a, a text field and converting that to a Twitter thread, converting it to individual tweets and to a LinkedIn post automatically. Um, so writing the prompts email. that make that transformation nicely with zero edits and 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 zero edits to the co uh, to the to the writing because that the writing should come from you 
but just simply breaking it up and saying, here's the important points. Mm-hmm. And this is now like a Twitter. So like making the process of content, because anybody could use that at that point, right? It could be a brand. It could be an individual person just simply taking their blog or whatever and saying, hey, you know, I'm super bullish on content repurposing tools that work well. Yeah. And this is something that we're building in no code at the moment. So. That's awesome. That's, that's exactly yeah. what I was looking for, for for that question. Well, Z, this has been super, super fun. I feel like I was super zoned in the whole time, wrote a lot down of ideas and things to think about. Where's the best start here point for you on the internet for people who want to, like you said, enter this holistic ecosystem at some point? There's always multiple entry points, but we'll just give them one. Yeah, uh, for me, it's probably going to be Twitter, to be honest with you. Um, people can follow me. I share just stuff about my journey, stuff that I'm learning, whatever that might be. My podcast is also a great place. Um so yeah, if once you get into my once you get into my Twitter, everything is pretty much there. Um, Lewis, again, thank you, man. I really appreciate the the chat, um, and I, I love talking to you, man. Thanks for all the for all the um, comments yesterday and and what you threw on Twitter. That means a lot, man. For for an indie podcast, you know how it is, man. It's like oh, yeah. every little thing counts. So I really appreciate it. And uh, let me know whatever I can do for you guys. I'm I'm happy to. And uh, yeah, man, this was really a pleasure just chatting with you on the on the pod.